It's our privilege to have Pastor Joe Warrington, Professor Joe Warrington, uh, Pastor Joe Warrington preach the, the word this evening. Um, he will help us finish the race and keep the faith. Yes? Yes? I need you to ask the person next to you if that's so. Before we begin, uh, Jenny Vanderhagen has an announcement she needs to make. About a month ago, you all got an email about a tradition that we have in all of the Nazarene colleges to have an opportunity for you to participate in giving back. I want to just read you what was in that email, just take a minute and let you know that we're actually going to complete this project tomorrow in chapel. This is uh, the Kurt Wesley Finkbeiner Fast. Uh, Kurt Finkbeiner was elected as a student co-chair of NSLA, which is the Nazarene Student Leadership Association, in April of 1989, after serving as student body president at the Northwest Nazarene uh, College for the 1988-89 school year. Kurt was swimming with two college companions in Lake Howell near Nampa. He drowned in a swimming accident on June 10th of 1989, the eve of his graduation. In 1990, the Nazarene Student Leadership Conference, which met at Olivet University, Olivet Nazarene University, resolved to urge each campus to remember Kurt as they fast one meal each year on Ash Wednesday. The meal money is donated toward the annual project set up annually in consultation with the Office of the Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. This fast was a dream of Kurt's, a way for students from all campuses to unite and to raise money for a significant cause in order to impact the needy of the world. Kurt was an outstanding leader on his campus, in his community, and part of the NSLA. Dr. Gordon Wetmore, president of NNC, eulogized that most of all, he lived out commitment to Christ, his model, will be a standard for future students to follow. We believe that a part of that standard is to follow, to follow is lived on through this annual fast in Kurt's memory. Isaiah 58.10 says, feed the hungry, help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you shall be as bright as day. Ash Wednesday was last month on February the 25th, but that was finals week, and we didn't have a chapel. But I encourage you, if you had not fasted a meal uh, for this um, fund, I ask that you would consider doing that and then tomorrow at chapel there will be offering plates and we'll be collecting the equivalent money from what you would have spent on a lunch or a dinner or one meal and that will go to the Compassionate Ministries project for this year and I'll let you all know through the communicator what a project that is exactly. Last year it was the um, Kenya Relief Fund so uh, every year with Compassionate Ministries and the NSLC, we decide jointly what this fast money will go for. So I encourage you to fast a meal and help out Compassionate Ministries in memory of a fellow student at another university who gave his life. Thank you. It is our prayer. It is our hope. You are our hope. Thank you for hearing for calling, 
Thank you for your word, for what you have for us, and what you expect of us in return. We give you praise. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, good evening. Amen. It's good to be here. Rather be here than in the best cemetery in town. <laughs> Do you feel the same way? Amen. We want to take a look at a passage of scripture tonight from the book of Philippians, if you would, uh, chapter 1 and uh, verses 1 through 11. So focus passage tonight. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you all, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about, you, about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Mm. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. There was no need for Paul to introduce himself as an apostle, which is his usual way of introducing his letters. No need for him to say, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the folks at Philippi were friends. They knew him well. They had not for once questioned his apostleship, which was the case in some of his more troubled churches. This letter was sent, as we said, to friends with feelings of mutual affection. There was a love relationship with the folks at Philippi. He loved them and they loved him back. Be a great church to pastor, wouldn't you think? 
this letter was uh, sent, as we said, uh, to, uh, to, from Paul, and uh, Paul was in a Roman prison. Uh, not feeling sorry for himself, of course, although the prospect of his release was fading. In fact, he was facing a sobering reality that the end was approaching. And yet, uh, we find that uh, this letter is laced with notes of joy. Although he is writing to friends, there is a certain formality yet we find in the letter. Notice that he includes Timothy as a co-author with him. He writes, to, he salutes the overseers and deacons, bishops and deacons. Uh, in fact, the wording uh, reflects. The, the latter two, of course, were most likely the ones who organized and arranged a generous offering uh, to help support him in Rome. Uh, this letter was a thank you letter, so, we, so uh, uh, as well as an ad addressing some of the deficiencies among the brethren there at Philippi. But again, one, one cannot help the, his attitude in all of this. Sixteen times in these four chapters, joy or rejoice will emerge, will come up in his vocabulary. And in these, Paul is rejoicing with the Philippians, the Philippian Christians, because they are participants, or what he calls partners with him in the gospel. He has them in his heart. He's thinking of them. Every time he prays for them, bubbles up joy. Uh, in this passage that uh, I read to you this evening, the three words will help us capture the depths of this partnership in, uh, that Paul wants to uh, share with the Philippians. Uh, the first word is the word privilege that I want to spend a little time with us this, morning, this evening. Privilege, verses 1 through 5. Uh, this partnership is a direct result, of course, of the work of Christ transforming the lives of the people. He addresses them as saints in Christ. Saints. And uh, he is not thinking of those who were canonized. He's thinking of believers, those that are in Christ, saints in Christ. Oh, the great privilege of knowing Christ as Lord and Savior. In verse 5, he reminds them of, of the partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now, he says. And of course, he's not thinking of a 24-hour day. More like the time when he arrived, how God began to work. He found, as you recall, no synagogue there on the Sabbath, so he went to a group that he heard were meeting down by the riverside. And that very first 
day or time he arrived, Lydia found the Lord. Uh, and, 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 and so he's rejoicing with that. Uh, or maybe he was thinking of the 16-year-old girl, do you remember her, who was demonized and she too found the Lord and came to faith in Christ. Sense. Or the event of which led to the riot uh, after this girl was converted uh, and the, her handlers lost their cash flow. A uh, riot uh, broke out and Paul and Silas were flogged and then placed in prison, in jail. He must have been thinking of the earthquake that night that loosed the prison chains. Uh, but more importantly, his thoughts may have been on the jailer and his entire household who came to faith. Saints he says. Three members of Philippians First Church of the Nazarene, a wealthy businesswoman, a psychologically damaged teenage girl, and a moonlighting retired Roman soldier were the first European converts, charter members of this church. Saints, he says. And so there is this privilege of knowing Christ and sharing uh, the gospel with uh, the, those folks from Philippi. And so Paul praises God for that. What a privilege it is to be in Christ. This privilege is articulated uh, even more emphatically in the Ephesian letter that Paul would write. Listen to his opening words to the Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the, the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then he, we uh, slide down to verse 7 and 8, and he says, In him, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Oh, what a privilege to be in Christ. That's our standing. That's who we are, and Paul celebrates that with the, Philipp the Philippians. But not only we, we, are we saints in Christ, is a privileged status, but Paul referred to himself and Timothy as servants, servants of Christ. Do you see that there? In the opening salutation uh, there, he mentions he and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. The word is douloi, servants, slaves. Uh, and, and it indicates to us the, the title implies service to him, to Christ, but belonging. They belong to Christ. Not only do they serve him, but belonging to him. What a privilege to be in service but to know also that we belong to him. And uh, it speaks of identity and solidarity with Christ, partnership of the, in the gospel. 
We are partakers of grace. We are part of a new community. We have fellowship in the gospel because we are members of God's family. I hope you feel that way as Paul felt writing these lines to the Philippians in a prison cell. No, seemingly no hope of release. He had defended and gave his testimony waiting for the verdict. But the charge was that he was, had caused riots in Jerusalem. But he presented himself defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. He writes to these Philippians. The second word we, we, we want to highlight from Paul's writing is not so much, not only the privilege, but there is a sense of promise. Promise. And verse 6 is, is the key text for this promise. I want to draw your attention to it. Paul says, Paul writes, being confident of this, being persuaded, the word confident here means I, I, I strongly believe this, I am persuaded that it is true. There is no doubt about it. I know that I know it is true that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. What a promise. What a promise to them. Paul is persuaded that God is at work. He has been at work with the Philippians from the very first day. He is at work not only to justify them but to lead them into perfection. God, who had begun the, the regenerating work in them, will advance it stage by stage until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, this, this blesses my soul. God is at work. He's, he's at work. Uh, th that same promise is yours tonight, not only for the Philippians and all those who will read this letter, but it is for you tonight. God is at work in you. He was at work in your home church before you came here to Nazarene Bible College when you sensed his call and the promptings of his spirit and, and the wooing of his love to you, calling you for something deeper and something greater than you may have thought. He was at work. He is molding and developing your character now. Those of you who are getting ready to graduate in just a couple months from now, you are not the same person you were four years or five years or for some of you maybe six years ago <laughs> when you first stepped foot on this campus. Hmm. Last Saturday, I had the wonderful privilege of being part of the exit interviews. And, and, and God, I, I, I heard the echo several times over. And here's what, God is at work preparing me for ministry he has for me. And, and those words came, came out over those who we interviewed. God is at work preparing me for what he has prepared for me. And there was a sense, a sense of excitement. Let me reassure you tonight 
that God did not call you to work for him. I, I want you to know that. He did not call you to work for him. He called you to work with him. And he's at work developing and shaping and molding and designing you so that you will partner with him in the grand enterprise of the gospel. He has called you to work with him. Jesus told the disciples, follow me. Follow me. What a promise of partnership tonight. It is important to note also that the Christian life is not based on our achievement. It is God that is at work. It is God that is doing this. It is God that is molding and shaping. It is God that is faithful to bring to completion that which he has initiated in you. Paul may have been thinking of some of the mystery religions in the, in the Middle East in, during the time to have joined one of those mystery religions there was a sense of initiation but then after you got in then you matured in that religion in that faith that group God also has initiated something in you he's brought you into his family into his new community and now he's developing and growing and building and completing that which he has begun in you you see, we can live out the cross-resurrection life. We can go on to perfection because God has already invested his total self in us. And he's calling us to this deeper life. But there's a third word. Not only is there a privilege of, of knowing Christ and being part of his family, he calls us saints and, and servants with him, and, and we are blessed by grace and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. But there is this promise of what God wants to do. But thirdly, Paul, the third word is what we see in verses 9 through 11, the prayer. Prayer. The third word in this partnership is prayer. Follow with me. Verse 9, 10, and 11. Paul says, and this is my prayer. He could have easily said, and this is my prayer for you, my dear friends. That your love may abound more and more. First of all, it, it, is, it, is a, it is prayer for love. It is prayer for love. Paul prays that their love may abound more and more. The word abound has a Latin background to it, uh, and, and it really means wave, wave like the wave of the ocean. I want you to picture that with me for a moment. What Paul is praying for his Philippian friends. Growing up surrounded by the um, Caribbean Sea and the Atlantic Oceans, I can identify with the picture Paul may have had in uh, standing on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. 
want you to picture that. Visualize with me. We cannot do it here in Colorado, but uh, uh, visualize with me you're on the seashore, you're on the, on the beach, or sandy white beach somewhere in the Caribbean. And you're watching the ocean, and the waves are coming, and they just keep coming. They recede and they come back again. White, foamy water crashing either on the sand or on the rocks. If you're around the Atlantic, it would be the rocks. If you're around the Caribbean, it would be the sand. But they never stop coming. They just keep coming. You could stand for an hour, five hours, a whole day, however long you want to stand and watch the ocean do its thing, the waves will keep coming. That's the picture when the word abound is used to describe love more and more and more. Paul prays for his friends in ministry, partners in ministry, and he says, I want to pray God that your love for one another and your love for Christ and the love for the gospel will be coming and coming and coming. I've also stood on the shores in the times, the seasons when it is high tide and low tide. And the times of high tide when the water is seemingly fuller and more forceful and, and the, the waves are bigger and stronger, good waves for surfing. And they're just crashing. Oh, that God would give us some high tides in our lives right now with his love. And, and just flow through our lives and permeate our lives and, and bathe us with his love and, and master us with his love and fill us with his love. But I realize there are times when there are low tides as well, when you don't feel too lovable. And things are tough. I wonder if Paul was in one of those low tide situa situations in a Roman cell, waiting execution. Mm. And yet there is such joy that comes through. It is not only a prayer for love, it is a prayer for light. Notice the verse again. I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. It is not blind love, it's intelligent love. With all knowledge and discernment. I like the New English Bible's translation of this verse. It says, and this is my prayer, that your love may grow richer and richer in knowledge and insight of every kind. The ability to discriminate, the ability to discern between good and evil, or between good and best, between mediocrity or average and excellence. It is both a gift 
and it is growth. As the gift of love from God manifests itself in us, we grow in the knowledge of that love and in the depths of insight of God. And as we grow in the, ne in the depths of insight of, of God's grace and His mercy and who He is, that love multiplies more and more and more. That's what Paul is praying for them. But it is not only a prayer for love and a prayer for light, it is a prayer for life. Verses 10 and 11. What a beautiful request. There are several pictures that come to mind in, in the choice of words that Paul uses in this passage. Look at verse 10 with me for a moment. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Pure, pure. The picture is that of a metal, a metal that has been refined, that all the dross is gone. It's pure. It's been fired up. He's praying for them, knowing that, of course, they were to face persecution and, and all the things, but they would be pure as metal. And the word pure is also translated sincere in other translations. Sincere. Without defects or cracks. It was not uncommon to go to shops around villages or cities in the Middle East where they sold pottery, vases, pots. And, and you had to be very careful when you buy such pottery because some of the sellers if there was a crack in one of those pots, they would cover it up with wax and glaze it over and paint it over. And you wouldn't suspect that there's anything wrong with this beautiful vase. And the only way to find out if it's really worth the money you're putting into it is to get it out in the sun and let either look through the light or let the sun heat it up a little bit so if there is any wax it will melt away and then you can see the defect. That picture, Paul is saying, let there be no cracks, defects. He's praying for their wholeness, their sincerity, then he uses the word blameless, sincere and blameless, making the, the picture is making a journey without roadblocks or anything to cause us to stumble. That the, their journey was successful. He's praying that as they walk with God, there will be nothing in their way to cause them to stumble. But that they will make their journey until Christ comes. Paul prays that this partnership will result in a life filled with the fruit of righteousness. Verse 11. 
He shows again that this is, this is the work of Christ in us. It's not our work, and it is for the glory of God. He had already included the fruit of love, but I get the sense that he includes all the fruit of the Spirit in this harvest of righteousness. You look at verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these fruit of righteousness. You see, this prayer is nothing short than a call to live the sanctified life. It is, it is a call to be bathed in the love of Christ, to experience the high tide, to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. You are here tonight because God has been at work in you and his work will be completed until, uh, will not be completed until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, my friend, is a partnership that comes with privilege, with promise, and prayer for you. As he reminds you of this partnership in ministry, I would invite you to find a place where you can reaffirm your own commitment to him. Remember, he who began a good work in you, will bring it to fruition, to completion. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, you were at work in Paul in a dungeon in awaiting execution, and that grace kept him that he could write such sublime words for us tonight. It is your work in us that sustains us here. It is your work that will carry us out of here into some form of ministry. Would you touch our lives tonight? Would you encourage us tonight to allow you greater permission in our hearts to work even more powerfully in us. Amen. Amen.